What's up, everybody? This is Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast for Friday, August 6th, 2021. And geez, in just one month, I'm going to be 30 fucking three years old. Me and Mike already recorded a a lot of this. Of course, you'll never hear that. But uh, my recorder, the levels on my recorder were extremely low. So we had to redo it. And basically, I bitched and moaned about my graying hair. (laughs) And uh, I played a show in Orlando Saturday at a place called A Sound Garden. And then we made fun of the name and how that's kind of a weird name. But it's a cool venue. No disrespect to them or whatever. Um, But someone, uh, I hired a photographer to take a picture of me. And in one of the pictures, I had a legit humongous old man bag under my left eye and it was just like jesus i look like i'm 50 what the fuck 33 i'm not supposed to look this old and then i mentioned how brad pitt looked good when he was 33 and mike said well he has better genetics and i'm like well if i stop drinking i'd probably get rid of these awful bags that are apparently showing and mike said yeah that's probably right just giving you a little (laughs) recap here of what we talked about in the first run because because it's very awkward to try to uh recreate recreate. yeah it's kind of like weird but yeah um so then i said i first started noticing eye bags for myself when i was 24 years old and blah 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 and mike said he's getting gray hair and um then i pivoted to mike's love life because uh, he's working more at, now he's working his job at kohl's and he's you know working more there and just working a lot, which is why we haven't been able to do the podcast um, as frequently as we want to. And I asked Mike about some girl who commented on his Facebook status, and I saw that she also worked at Michael's. And I was like, huh? huh? Is anything going on with that? But apparently she's already taken. But I told Mike, that's how it happens, man. Whenever you work at a place and you see the same people day in and day out, eventually you strike up conversation, and then it turns into, hey, you want to... Uh, get something to eat after work or grab a beer or go to a movie or whatever and um you know so there was that and did i cover everything <laughs> thanks <laughs> for the anything? summary uh, I, I didn't even have to interject or say anything <laughs> it's a lot easier to when it was already said it was it's a lot easier to like fluently recap stuff <laughs> than to think about it on the spot live in person you know yeah yeah like, um, i'm double checking this fucking recorder to make sure because <laughs> I was recording a guitar bit for our upcoming Dancing with Ghost song. Sorry, Eggman, uh-huh. I'm talking about my band again. Um, and, and I needed this feedback sound from my guitar that I can't replicate on my computer. So I was I mic'd my guitar using this same mic that I'm talking into now. And I turned the recording level down to like two. And when I do the podcast, it's at like 60. So if I the audio just would have been non-existent. And I'm just glad I caught it five minutes into the podcast instead of two hours in because I would have been <laughs> fucking pissed if that had been the case. Uh, you know, it's not uncovering unexplained mysteries until, you know, there's some kind of technical difficulty or some kind of unprofessional kind of uh, thing going on. Uh, but speaking of the podcast, uh, yeah, the main reason why we're going bi-weekly is because of the fact that uh, we're just busy. We're both yep. busy boys. And uh, we have a, a lot of things going on and a lot less free time. Uh, yeah, but- see, when Mike had more free time, he, I might have been busy, <clears throat> but Mike, because Mike had more free time, his schedule was more flexible to when I could record. Mm-hmm. But now that he's busy, too, it's like, no, this is the time that I can record <laughs> and that's that's it. So I have to kind of like 
yeah work around that and um you know a lot of times it's just like fuck i, I uh-huh. just literally i have too much to do yeah. today and I, I can't exactly i can't spare two hours yeah uh of my free time because like you know i work nights so i have a set amount uh-huh. of hours of free time in the day before i have to go and to then my his gig. band uh, work is really starting to uh yes uh, pick the band up. is consuming more and more of my shit you know, me and Stephanie, every Sunday night, we plan for the next week what we're going to post. Every day, we think of some new thing to post. Mm-hmm. And people notice, and they've said, oh, yo, man, you guys are really hustling, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And that, that's cool and all, but, um, you know, sometimes it does feel like you don't really get... You, it's not like all the work isn't really bearing the yeah. fruit that you would like to see. Yeah. But yeah. people people notice. They don't say it all the time, but they notice. It's kind of how I feel, um, uh, you know, at Michael, since the management change and everything, I haven't really feel, felt as appreciated. And uh, so working at Kohl's has been really good for my self-esteem because uh, it's the complete opposite. Like, uh, everyone's just really appreciative of what I'm doing and uh, very kind and courteous and very willing to let me know when I'm doing well and uh, uh, very flexible in terms of helping out and so on. And I, I'm really liking it so far. It's nothing too crazy in terms of uh, the work itself. In fact, with both of these jobs, the work itself is actually pretty easy. Uh, it's just the extended hours that's a little bit rough at the moment because I'm just in the middle of this adjustment period mentally and physically. But I think once I get past that, uh, it'll be fine. Um, I definitely do like the fact that I, I get more money. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's it's definitely an, an adjustment, too, to get money weekly because with Kohl's, I get paid weekly versus Michael's, I get paid every other week. No, it's a bi-weekly thing. Bi-weekly sucks. It, it, it you think it's because, good because like oh I get more money, like it makes you think that you're getting paid more, but really it's just the same amount that you probably would get paid if, if it's weekly, you know. Yeah, I'm just I. Ever since I started doing the DJ stuff back in like almost ten years now, you shit, just get paid that really... night, right? Yeah, you get paid that night. Um, it's a lot more money than I would make if I worked yeah, in, like a nine sure. to five job. Unless it, unless I had like a career. Like if I had a career and they're like, all right, we can guarantee you fifty to sixty k a year. Like yeah. yes, that would be uh, you know more than what I make now. But you know, look what you have to sacrifice yeah. for that. You know, you you got to work five days a week, forty hours. Uh-huh. A week, you know, and it's like, yeah, you get benefits, you get dental, and all that. That's pretty shit, much what I'm doing like, right now is an average of forty hours. Um, there, but you can't buy your freedom, no. Mike. You can't buy no. your freedom, and freedom is what I like better than having money. <laughs> so yeah, this is a podcast about unsolved mysteries, and boy, do we got some yeah. good ones for you this week. So Mike picked them, and uh, and and they're they're good ones. Uh, one of them is a forbidden. Yeah, segment. we might as well start with that one. So uh, the forbidden segment is the case of Tony DiCampo. What is the deal with all these forbidden segments? And what we mean by forbidden segment are the segments that are not available on the Amazon Prime or YouTube. The Film Rise yeah. reissues of Unsolved Mysteries. 
there's just they're just missing a lot of good segments and i don't know uh why. i think it's been i thought they explained that in an ama uh one time it was to, due to like rights issues or 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 uh uh lawsuits or the statute of limitations had passed or you know all of that oh, okay i got so you. That being said, we were able to uh, witness and uh, watch this uh, gem, this nice little juicy nugget of a, of a segment. Uh, this, uh, like I was saying, it features Tony DeCampo. Uh, Tony DeCampo. More like, more like Tony DeCampo. Yeah, this guy's a fucking waste. So D- Tony DeCampo is wanted for assault and questioning in a bizarre kidnapping case. Bizarre is an understatement. <laughs> Like, this is honestly one of the most bizarre yes. uh, Unsolved Mysteries uh, true crime segments I can think of that I've seen. Where where the uh, the question, what the fuck was in it for yeah. him with this whole thing, is really the question yeah. that, that you'll come back to. So during the, the week before Christmas in 1993, Tony arrived at a truck stop in Ocala, Florida. Of course. Rural Florida... Uh, are you surprised, uh, Mike? It's 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 pronounced Ocala, oh, okay. not Ocala. Right. Get it? Oh, I'm very familiar with Ocala. That's yeah. Why has it got to be Florida, <laughs> man? Why has it got to be Florida every time? It's like it's like the stereotype. I'm just sitting there watching the news, and some <laughs> dumb shit happens in some state, and I'm like, please don't be Florida. Please don't be Florida. In Tampa, Florida, a man, you know, stuck a rock in his ass, and I was like, why? What is what is wrong with our uh, uh, the people here? Not me. I'm great, but you know everyone else. So uh, he uh, arrived at this truck stop and he claimed that he can neither hear nor speak. Now this is a crazy thing. Like this guy, it seems like maybe he was so thirsty for uh, some tail that he decided to like fake this whole thing where he's like, I can't hear and I can't speak and I I was in the Gulf War and and uh, it was a combat injury. So he started uh, uh, making plays at uh, Valerie Eric, uh, known as Val, a divorced mother of three who worked as a clerk at the truck stop. Uh, she felt sorry for him, especially after other truckers ridiculed him, which, you know, that's pretty shitty, too. Like, like I know you find out that he's like a piece of shit later, but like... They didn't know they didn't, that. They didn't know that. They he were was just fucking it. with him because he was so, yeah. yeah, just being just dicks being for dicks. sure. Apparently they uh he uh took her sympathy for interest and she became the focus of his unwavering attention. Oh my god, the amount of times yes. that men take women's sympathy for interest or uh-huh. their or their kindness for flirtation. I feel so I hate to say I feel sorry for because it makes it sound like I, I have pity. Uh, on on women and I don't need to have pity on them because you know women are strong but uh, I do feel like bad that that women I know a lot of women who um, are just really friendly because like you know Stephanie's yeah. a DJ uh, my, Amber is this uh, lady I know oh, girl lady I don't know it's, it's, it's lady sounds too old girl sounds too young chick sounds too uh, I think chick is now considered kind of a misogynistic term. I don't even know. the 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 person with the was it the two X chromosomes <laughs> is that 
Anyway, these two women that I know are DJs, and you have to kind of be friendly yeah. as a DJ to a certain degree, unless you just want to be seen as a dick to everyone. Um, and the amount of guys that like mistake that niceness for flirtation is just off the charts. Same thing with bartenders. Uh, like bartenders get it worse than DJs do because bartenders literally have to charm their way into the men's wallets with the tips. I mean, you can ask any bartender that and they'll tell you that that's how it is. And it's like, oh man, that sucks. You know, I've even, my stupid ass has even fallen prey to hitting on bartenders because I'm like, well, I think she kind of likes me. And it's like, no, she doesn't. She wants your tips, <laughs> dumbass. So uh, Tony told Val through writ written notes that a Gulf War combat injury had cost him his hearing and speech. Uh, speaking of speech, I apologize for all my flubs so far. Uh, I am completely out of practice <laughs> when it comes to the podcast, so I guess I'm pretty rusty today. Uh, he also said that he was stranded in Florida until his truck could be repaired. Uh, and he also said that he was growing fond of her. Finally, he asked her to marry him. Which, that should have just been the moment where, all right, no, we're done. Like, this is too fast. This is too creepy. No. Right? Right, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that like a giant neon red flag? Like, I know we haven't even gone on a date, but will you spend the rest of your life with me as my wife? She refused the offer, understandably. But she did allow him to stay at her house until his truck was back up and running, which was a mistake. Mistake, yeah, mistake I know, number two. I know, I, I know you're trying to be nice, but, like, this guy was so thirsty he asked you to marry him. Like, you barely even knew the guy. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say if you're at a truck stop where truckers go and hang out and you meet someone there who is acting in the way he's acting, being all, like, you know spinning his yarns about losing his hearing and a injury in the Gulf War and then he's asking you to marry him. I mean, he's got hearts in his eyes for you. Given yeah. the circumstances, <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer to be like this dude's sketchy, stay the fuck away from him, but yeah. Guess he had some charm in him or something. I mean, he wasn't Apparently. a bad-looking guy from the he looked like fucking Freddie Mercury when he had the in his mustache <laughs> phase. A little bit. I I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily go that far. Um, so on Christmas Eve, Val's mother, Mary Daniel, came for a visit. Tony scribbled out his life story for her. He claimed that his father was a mafia kingpin, pressuring him to join the ranks. And, and that's also the moment you, you really should have been like, really? Come on. That's like when, when Strider Starfire, the child molester, was like, I'm, uh, when I turn, when I return back to Ireland, I will have a kingdom waiting for me. Yeah. And I'm going to make you the princess. Uh huh. Do I get horses? Of course you do. The princess gets whatever the princess wants. It's like, oh, gag me with a spoon. So, however, uh, he wanted out. Uh, Val was not sure if she believed him, true or not. Questions about the mafia were pushed aside by a sudden crisis. The day after Christmas, Tony fell and bloodied his head. After the injury, his hearing and speech miraculously returned. That's a fucking miracle, dude. Praise the yeah. Lord. All of a uh, sudden, although... <laughs> now you can uh, hear and speak. And, 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 and Just because fucking... you fell? 
on your head. Your talking voice doesn't sound like, you know, atrophied at all. You're not talking like this, like, you know, someone who hasn't used their vocal cords in a long time. Like you're 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 going from like mute to just perfect speech. Like wow, miracle, for sure. Uh, it doesn't really explain though, like how he fell and bloodied his head though. But apparently he fell and bloodied his head, and his speech miraculously returned along with his hearing. Although Mary was skeptical of the recovery, the doctor his doctor assured her that such a recovery was possible, depending on the severity of the injury. <laughs> Was that a real doctor? <laughs> what? He was the same doctor who uh, took the guy's gold coins and, and just walked away and never returned with the check, <laughs> like in that one fraud episode. Yeah. It, was, it was that guy. That makes sense. So the next day, Tony claimed that the mafia had a contract out for him. So this, this segment just has so much stuff. You have a guy who's hitting on this woman at a truck stop, and he's pretending that he's deaf and he's mute. And then he's talking about this crazy story about how the mafia is out to get him. I think the big thing with these people is they go too big in their lie. Like, yeah. you know, like, y you oversell it, you know. You could say, um, you know, like... Oh, I, I, my dad is like the king of some mafia thing, you know. It's like, it's just that's just bullshit that people <laughs> hear in the movies, and then they're like, you know, oh yeah, that's gonna be me. That's gonna be my my spiel too. Like, it's like, and and like that Strider Starfire guy. Like, I just watched that segment the other day. That's why he's new <laughs> new to my brain, or fresh in my brain, or whatever. That dude, like, said he fought in the Gulf War. He fought in the Irish Republican Army. Uh -huh. He, uh, you know, did this, did that. I mean, it was like L. Ron Hubbard, you know. Oh, I sank all these battleships in the Navy, and then I was blinded by the sun, and and all these, you know, tales of, of fantasticism and all that. And it's just like, you, you overshoot it, man. You overshoot yeah. it. If you kept it more on planet Earth, people would probably believe you a lot easier. So, uh, he also claimed that the lives of himself, Mary, Val, and Val's children were in danger. Within minutes, he, Mary, and the children were out the door with little more than the clothes on their backs. They picked up Val at work and hit the road in Mary's brand new Camaro. They drove to Tampa, where he claimed his father was located. Uh, he told them that his father could get the contract off of their lives. Is there even a mafia in Tampa? Probably. Not to my knowledge, uh, there is a huge uh, OxyContin uh, epidemic in, it's the Oxycontin uh, in Tampa, though. Mafia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the Oxy. I think they're just. I, I think there are just gangs in Tampa. Uh -huh. I don't really think that there's mafia. I could be wrong. So uh, in Tampa, Tony's father could not be found. Of course. Uh, instead, Tony hustled Mary Val and the children from one motel to the next, supposedly just a step ahead of the mafia hitmen. He also had Mary withdraw money, which he used to pay for rooms and other purchases. Initially, he told her that he would reimburse her for the purchases. However, he later said that she would have to do this to keep them safe. Typical manipulative behavior. Uh, meanwhile, Mary's husband Rick became worried about his wife and stepdaughter, and this guy just was a fucking badass. <laughs> they took out a thirty-eight, got in the car, and just 
Follow got old Clint Eastwood over here yeah. going like, not on my watch, partner. You know, with his yeah. fucking gun at his side. It's like, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, he followed Mary's unusual credit card transactions to Tampa. While at a Tampa mall, Mary's bank card was seized by an ATM. Tony claimed that the seizure was proof that the mafia had found them, which makes no sense. The, the, the mafia is not going to seize your card. <laughs> They have control of the ATMs, like in the you know what in the '90s, whenever this happened. Like, I, I don't think I don't think that technology existed back then. So moments later, Rick was nearing the mall when he saw Mary's Camaro pull out of the parking lot onto the highway. He turned his car around and began to follow them. Tony asked Val if anyone was following their car. I got to be honest, this reenactment was pretty good, for the most part. I mean, there were some moments where the reenactment yeah. was not that great, and I'll get to that later. But for the most part, the reenactment was pretty solid, especially this part, because it actually felt pretty suspenseful. So Tony asked now, you know, Val if anyone was following their car, not recognizing Rick's car. She told Tony that someone was indeed following them. Okay, so at this point, Tony knows all uh, everything he said to them up until this point was bullshit. He knew that they weren't being followed. He knew it was some kind of scam, and it was all bullshit. What the fuck must have been going through his mind yeah. when someone actually pulled up and started shooting at him? Uh-huh. Like, wh- what was he thinking? Was he like, shit, did I, like, think all of this into existence? <laughs> like, has my lie become into, t- somehow manifested in, the into mafia this reality? Actually like, after me? <laughs> yeah, shit. It, is the, you know, did the mafia hear that I was, like, you know, using their name and like I was associated with them and now they're trying to get back at me because, you know, I'm I'm falsely impersonating uh, the son of a mafia king. Like, I just would love to know what was going <laughs> through his head when that started happening. So uh, he uh, realizes that uh, someone is following him. And uh, of course, he incorporates that into the whole lie. So now it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy uh he tells uh the kidnap the the people that he's kidnapped uh to get their heads down uh so mary did not see the car rick was hoping to block them in if they pulled into a motel or gas station at a turnaround he tried to do just that but the camaro went around him he then made a split second decision to stop the car by shooting at its tires the shots missed but the shooting convinced mary val and the children that tony was telling the truth and that the mafia was actually after them. Uh, the incident apparently led Tony to change his plan. So that's probably when he realized that, oh, fuck, like, this is getting a little bit too dangerous. <laughs> a little too real for old decompose. So he released Mary and Val's children unharmed at the airport in Tampa. However, he told Val that they had been grabbed by the mafia. For her, the worst was yet to come. She claimed that he dragged her across six states on a 2,000-mile odyssey of terror. During the next two months, he became like Jekyll and Hyde. He beat her severely, sexually abused her, and forced her to steal as he took her from motel to motel. Uh, This reenactment, I don't understand why they decided to shoot this uh, odyssey of terror part with uh, green lighting as if it's... uh, a part of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And then on top of that, they have these really, uh, this, this really over the top 
uh, approach to this abuse to the point where it kind of came across as cartoonish to me. Because you have the, I thought the whole like adding the whole foley hits, yes. like, you know that that standard punch yes. in movies where it's like, you know that sounds created by like a stick hitting a cabbage in a, a recording studio, and it makes it's that, a kind, whoosh, yeah, it's the like, kind of sound, sound that you would hear when Indiana Jones punches a Nazi, <laughs> you know, something like yeah. that. And they were using that same like foley sound effect when he was punching her, and yeah, it did make it kind of comical. And then on top of that, you got the actor who's playing Tony doing his fake tough guy act with a matchstick in his mouth and just uh, being all uh, angry and uh, intimidating. And But the thing that really stood out to me the most that actually made me laugh, and it's not because I think abuse is laughable by any means. I mean, it's an awful, horrible thing. And uh, this guy... Uh, if I even want to call him a, a, a guy, he's more like a fucking asshole, uh, Tony. Uh, he is the type of person that, to me personally, deserves a beating himself. But anyway, uh, for some reason, the last hit that Tony gives in this segment is uh, sent off with a sound effect of a cat i don't understand this i don't understand it's just it was such a random thing that it made me laugh he's beating her he's throwing her against the the uh wall and just getting in her face and then he hits her the second time which is the last time for this uh reenactment this part of the segment and she falls to the ground and then a cat yowls i don't get it did she fall on the cat? Where did the cat come from? I, I don't understand why the the sound editor decided to put that in there. It didn't really add anything to the sequence. It just made it even more cartoonish. So, apparently, also, on one occasion, Tony beat Val until blood seeped from her ears. When I, That's just fucking brutal. And to me, I... I at that moment, I wanted to beat Tony until he bled from, his, from ears. his ears. I don't know about that one. Oh, that's my that's my department. Leave uh, that to me. <laughs> <laughs> that time, uh, he brought her to her hospital. Fearing for her family's safety, she lied to the nurse and insisted that he had not beaten her. She felt completely under his control. Uh, finally, on April 11th, uh, she felt the strength to cross him. When she called home from a hotel, she was stunned to learn that Mary was there and that her kids were safe. Only then did she realize that his mafia horror story had been a lie from the very start. By the time Tony came looking for Val, she had made her way to the local police. When police came to question him, they found that Tony had packed up and moved on. He has not been seen since. At this time, he faces only one charge of assault. However, police believe that given his 13 different aliases, he probably has left behind other victims and racked up additional offenses. He can uh, be recognized by his more than two dozen tattoos, among them a peacock, okay, a shark, a skeleton holding a red rose, and the names Star, Cricket, Tamara, Angela, and Val. So he's such a sick fuck, he's tattooing the names of these women that he's probably abused. 
Or murdered. Possibly. That's that's a. I mean, what would a, the what uh, would the end game have been for him in that situation? You know, like, like he probably would have killed her. Yeah, it, or it just might be a thrill thing. Maybe he doesn't really choose to kill these women. He prefers to control. He prefers having the uh, ability to control them and and abuse them and steal their money. And then he, once the the woman is abused and spent and doesn't have anything left financially, then he moves on to the next victim. But yeah, that's a question. The question that you you mentioned is one that I believe the segment itself, uh, the the narration actually does ask. It's uh, what was in it for Tony DeCampo? He didn't push a high price scam. There was no overstuffed bank accounts waiting to be looted. In fact, there was nothing to steal but somebody else's happiness. I love that. Uh, line. Yeah, I, I think I think he stole more than just their happiness. <laughs> I mean, well, he stole, but then he also gifted her the gift of uh, PTSD. So Val claims that he did precisely that. She hopes that he will be stopped before he hurts anyone else. And steals anyone else's happiness. Stealing happiness sounds like the plot of a fucking Care Bear cartoon. <laughs> oh no! We have to stop the... Galgamore is stealing our happiness! <laughs> so apparently he was captured. After the story aired, DeCampo was located in January of 1998. He was arrested in Virginia for threatening then-President Bill Clinton and sent to prison. What? <laughs> what, did he send him a letter or something? Or did he, did he write him a message on a napkin being like, I'm deaf and I can't speak. And then Bill's like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. Uh, here, let me, give, let me buy you some scrambled eggs. And then, like, he just, like, pulls out a knife or something. Like, I'm, I'd be interested. In... <laughs> I know, right? His real name was determined to be James William Perillo. He had committed similar schemes in the past. In 1988, he allegedly kidnapped a woman after claiming that the mafia was after him. So he kept using the same shtick. He pressured the woman to marry him and then raped her. He forced her to travel with him across the country until she finally escaped him in 1991. So that shows that that's all he was doing. That's what he was doing this for, is the control, the power. Um, she did not report the incident to the police at the time. In July of 1994, shortly after the incident with Val and her family, Perillo showed up at, at a hospital in Daytona, Florida, claiming that he tried to commit suicide by overdosing on anti-seizure pills. He convinced a new nurse there, there to give him a ride to Orlando. During the trip, he claimed that Navy police were after him. But now he's got it. Now he has to change his story. So now it's the Navy who's after him <laughs> because he had gone AWOL. Three days later, he boarded a yacht in Fort Lauderdale uh, and then held nine people there at gunpoint in an attempt to steal it and take it out of the country. <laughs> He surrendered after a four-hour standoff. However, at trial, he pleaded insanity and was acquitted. It is not known if Perillo was convicted of the assault charge against Val. In 2002, he was arrested and later convicted of helping a woman kidnap her children from their father. Wow. So, it, it what a twist. So now he's helping someone else kidnap 
their children. This guy has a very, I mean, he was very active after his Unsolved Mysteries segment. Yes. He was sentenced to three years in prison. In 2018, he was accused of kidnapping, beating, and raping a woman while they were hiking on the Pacific Crest Trail. This occurred over a period of several months. Shortly after she escaped from him, he was arrested. However, he was later released and never charged in that case. Sadly, the woman passed away a few months later. This fucking compost should be left to rot in jail. Why does he keep getting released? He's a repeat offender. He has not learned his lesson. Never will. It just seems like his crime spree just escalates. They could have done a couple more episodes on this guy. Jesus. (laughs) Holy shit. Apparently he's still out. I guess. Sadly, uh, Valerie uh, passed away in 2013. She was 51. Probably smoking them cancer sticks. Maybe. I don't Sorry, know. I'm tuning my guitar right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's just, it was on my to do list. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm already here. I'm just going to fart around with this. All right, I'm going to put that down because I already <laughs> fucked it up because I cut the strings too short and now they're not holding in the tuning peg. So I'm pretty much going to have to do all that all you over. You got again. anything else to say about decompost? Um, not really, other than the fact that he looks like Freddie Mercury in his mustache phase. To me, he looks more like uh, uh, Michael Bean in The Abyss when he has that, he had the mustache. I don't know. Yeah, that, um, oh, I guess, I guess my closing statement is, uh, don't hang out with people that you meet at a truck stop. Like, outside of the truck stop. Talk to them at the truck stop, but but don't. Like, that is the number one place that transients and weirdos go if they're trying to escape or get I, somewhere. I would say it depends. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about truck drivers. I'm not talking about truck drivers. Yeah. I'll make the distinction. Well, I mean, but. I'm talking about truck drivers. But that, that can also they're be. They're fine people. That can also be a problem, too, because, you know, there's been cases where truck drivers have well, been no, criminals on the well, side. What I meant was, like, don't talk to people, but, however, I will say that uh truck drivers uh you know that's they do that for a living so you know they're fine people and this isn't awkward at all uh, (laughs) i don't i don't i don't care (laughs) it's just like it's like one of those things where it's like you're not allowed to say a certain thing but it's like for me it's like with this case I, i it's just use your best judgment you know it's one of the it's like when something happens given given a certain situation it's like well what did you expect you, you know the guy was already kind of weird you meet him at this fucking truck don't stop trust sketchy like people all... in sketchy places there you go so that's all i have to say all right so the next person we're going to talk about is uh, a woman after my own heart uh uh, the uh, problematic um, black widow type, crazy probably, but but then again, she is a murderer, so that's not that's not a good thing. So um, maybe is it not the kind woman of woman that. though that you would uh, uh, be interested in dating? <laughs> totally, I love how much of a hoe she is. <laughs> 
I, so, I, I, uh, I myself am kind of a hoe as well, so I, I can relate to... Uh, I can relate to fucking and enjoying the art of fucking. This is um, the case of Sharon Kinney. Some people might call Sharon Kinney a man's woman. That is, if you like your woman fast and loose and ruthless. Do you prefer your women uh, fast, loose, and ruthless? Um, fast and loose, yes. Uh, ruthless, not so much. Although, ruthless can also denote that you don't really have a lot of you're not like a really emotional person and I, I do kind of I do kind of like that in, in my women like I like women who aren't overly emotional because I myself am not overly emotional and I find it very difficult to deal with people in general who are overly emotional I know a guy who works at one of the venues that I work at and he is the most emotional sensitive paper thin skinned motherfucker you will ever meet and he's like 58 or 53 and he you know he he acts all like kind of like tough and you know yeah i'm a punk rocker from back in the day man and all this other kind of shit but man you say like one that wrong thing to him and he gets he starts pouting and he's like man fuck that and he'll like walk away and cry in his beer and then half an hour later he'll come back and be like look dude when you say stuff like blah and it's like dude i'm Enough. Enough with you, okay? Every You get so easily offended. You are so fucking emotional. My whole being does not understand people like you. I just don't. I don't understand your mentality. I don't, I don't get it. I don't have enough emotions to relate to all the emotions you have. Anyway. On March 6 or March 19, 1960, a sheriff's deputy in Independence, Missouri was summoned by a distraught Sharon Kenny, then 20 years old. Oh, by the way, Sharon Kenny was hot. I need to make that uh, distinction. She was, <laughs> she was old school hot. I mean, she was born in 1939, but she's one of the better looking ladies I've seen from that era who's not a Hollywood, you know, starlet. Although the age progressed photo of her is... is yeah, well, uh, no one looks good at 57. Come on. Uh, well, except for... I don't well, know, it depends. Nowadays, nowadays, you got fucking Cindy Crawford, who is like 60. And she, she looks more like fucking Roseanne in that photo. <laughs> yeah, kind of, but like less <laughs> overweight. Um, anyway, uh, Sharon Kane was 20 years old. She's calling the deputy and she's distraught. Sharon's husband, James, had been shot once in the back of the head. A twenty-two caliber target pistol was in plain sight. There was no sign of a struggle. 25-year-old James Kenny died on the way to the hospital. The next day, Kenny was interviewed, Sharon Kenny, that is, when it was interviewed by detectives. She said James was in the bedroom cleaning his pistol while she was in the bathroom putting on makeup. James laid down for a nap. Dana, their two-year-old daughter, wandered into the bedroom, picked up the gun, fired one shot, and killed her father. Uh, At the time, James R. Browning was the chief of police of Merriam, Kansas. Quote, I thought she was credible, and she was very distraught, and it was very genuine. And then, for me, it became the problem of, if the little girl did it, what a shame. What a terrible tragedy. That's the calling card of a sociopath. Yeah, blame it on your kid who gives a fuck. Yeah, Yeah, and then at the same time, this whole emotional thing, this emotional manipulation, this act of, oh my god, da 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 and it think seems about so that, credible. Though. Like that's pr- that would be a pretty traumatic thing to witness, or if uh, yes. you even did that yourself. Like yes. you just shot somebody in the fucking back of the head. Someone but that you. She, she's a sociopath. Yeah, she has no. Why the part of her brain that 
exercises like human emotion is just non-existent. And I found so, I find with like the women, but killers, that what's so crazy though is that if that is non-existent, they are able to create very credible reactions. Well, like what they said about sociopaths uh, in, in the past um, on Unsolved Mysteries when they're talking about dictators and all this stuff. Um, that one of the professionals on there said one time they're almost like aliens that are playing the part of a human being. Yeah. And that's kind of the deal here. I found with a lot of the women killers, um, they especially have this ability to have no kind of emotion behind what they're mm. doing and put on that that so- societal expectation of like the smiling housewife. Yeah. You know, meanwhile they're poisoning their husband's soup and until yeah. he dies. And but they are know, also she- very credible in terms of like when they're interviewed by the police, in terms of showing what seems like genuine emotion. And I just and find that to be such an interesting disconnect. When it comes to these sociopaths, is that they can't really, uh, let's just say, decipher in their head uh, situations that should make them feel emotion. But when it comes to them putting on an act, they're able to figure that out and 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 do it in a way that's uh, incredibly convincing. Yeah, and like let's not forget that. Um was it uh 78.7% of uh people who commit homicide are men so they're way more likely police at least in an investigation they're way more likely to believe that a woman did not commit the murder mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. women typically don't do that yeah you know well um, also back in this in- day like there wasn't a lot of um uh, Initial skepticism for that kind of stuff, but apparently, though, it seems like the investigator still was skeptical, uh, yeah. which is which is a good thing because you should be. Because like, she put on a good act, uh, or but but you know he was still kind of you know he was skeptical about a little girl killing her. It's kind of, kind of an incredible story. Bother about it, you know. <laughs> and the reenactment makes it look pretty incredible too. Daddy, can can you show Daddy, me? Daddy, what's this? What's this? Daddy, <laughs> Daddy, show me. Motherfucker, you gonna die, pa! You know? Like, captured own dad at two, yeah. you know? Talk about daddy issues. And then apparently she didn't die, but they don't mention her again. But geez, how did her, how did her life turn out? You yeah. Know? Don't like, know. Like, my mom is a piece of shit who blamed me for the murder of my dad when I was only two years old. I mean, at any age, that's shitty, but good lord. She's cold. At two years old, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if... I, guns are not the lightest thing in the world. I'm thinking about my niece when she was two. I, she could not... If she did manage to hold a, a pistol up, she would not have been able to pull, know to pull the trigger, aim at that. Like, she would have... You know, it, it, yeah. just, it, it clearly yeah. wasn't the kid. Yeah, exactly. If the kid was five, that's a different story. Two bullshit. You can barely walk it to. If if you even can walk it to. I don't know when kids start walking. Anyway, um he goes on to say we were skeptical about the little girl, but unfortunately they were the only witnesses there. There was no one else to talk to except Sharon Kenny. James Hayes is the author of the book The Sharon Kenny Story. He says Kenny was a master confabulator. Don't know what that word means, but guess that's uh 
confabulating a story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, he's quoted as saying, all they could do was just buy into whatever it was Sharon was telling them. And she was very convincing. And that's not to their discredit. When Sharon told you something, you were just expected to believe it. She was that good. The insurance company bought into Sharon Kenny's story as well to the tune of $200,000. Kenny used the money to pay cash for a new convertible and allegedly had an affair with the married man she bought it from. James Hayes says it was just business as usual. She wanted the salesman to leave his wife and his children and take care of her. She wanted him. In her mind, whatever Sharon wanted, Sharon got. But the salesman apparently had no intention of leaving his family, even though Kenny told him she was pregnant. So Kenny called the salesman's wife, Patricia Jones, and she said uh, she was the sister of a woman who was having an affair with her husband. Patricia agreed to meet Kenny, but then never made it home the night they met. Uh, The next day, Kenny herself... (laughs) volunteered to help in the search yeah sick sick she got some help from yet another lover a man named john bold bold they drove around looking for patricia jones according to john kenny suggested that they end that evening at a popular lover's lane while there kenny noticed something in the grass and asked john to investigate here's the fucked up part it's fucked up enough that you're spending your day looking for a dead body and that to cap off the night, you want to go and fuck. Well, then, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, lane. too. You know where the dead body is because you're probably the right, one and that that's placed the second, it that's, there. Right. That's the second part. Like. You killed this you woman. You then go where you, you know, the, <laughs> that, you know, you're going to see the it's, it's like she gets yeah. off to it. She's sick. And so then she makes the the dude investigate. She's like, oh, my God, isn't that the same? Isn't that the salesman's wife? She's wearing the same dress. And so James Hayes says she makes this young man get out and look, and it scares the living bejesus out of him because there's a salesman's wife laying shot and dead in the grass. Kenny asked John not to tell the police that she was with him when he found the body. But according to James Hayes, Straight away, he told them. Well, I wasn't here by myself. I was out with Miss Sharon Kinney. And the name just set off all kinds of bells and whistles in investigators' heads because they remembered her story from just a couple months before that. Prosecutors wasted no time. Kenny was charged with the murder of Patricia Jones and also of her husband, James. Across Missouri, Sharon Kinney became a household name. The Patricia Jones murder trial was first. James Hayes says Kenny easily charmed the all-male jury. Quote, Sharon had control of that courtroom. She had control of the jury. She had control of the spectators. Everybody's attention was focused on Sharon Kenny, even to the point where on the second day after the trial started, Sharon came moseying in late, fashionably late probably in her mind. The trial went on for about 10 days. The jury came back after deliberating only for an hour and a half with a verdict of not guilty. The courtroom played him. The courtroom <laughs> erupted in cheers. Jurors came Jesus out of the juror box Christ. and went over and got Sharon's fucking autograph. People in the audience came and got Sharon's autograph as well. But Kenny's trials were she not over. She was a celebrity. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she was hot. That's a, this, is, this is one thing I kind of wanted to touch on, too. Um, <clears throat> like, I can relate to, to, you know, some aspects of her being a hoe and all that, but not, not the complete lack of feelings 
Not, I mean, not like she has. Jeez, and murder. I, I can't even. And not kill. murder. <laughs> yeah, that was well, that too. I mean, I can't even murder a roach without feeling bad about it. You know, I mean, the thing's just trying to live its life. It doesn't know that it's disgusting to me, and care. You know, just infesting my house is is not cool. So I have to murder it. I have no choice. But um, another thing I wanted to bring up about Sharon Kenny is this is what being uh, really attractive gets you. Um, people just tend to like you more based off of that simple fact they're uh the the attract the the physical appearance of a person if they are attractive has always been mentioned on this show when it comes to the courtroom mm-hmm. like scenes you know I, I phrases like he was such a handsome charming young man how could he have done these crimes like that is such a beyond mm-hmm. ridiculous statement as though only ugly or, Ted or Bundy- less attractive Ted Bundy used his uh, looks to to uh, lure a lot of his victims in. He had um, he had like fa- like women who were outside of the courtroom, like fans who were like he was like the Beatles whenever he would like exit the courtroom. Or no, that was Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, Def- Jeffrey Dahmer had uh, he uh-huh. had like this whole fan club. Um, same with her. You know, she was a very attractive lady, and you know. The the jurors took one look at her and goes, "There's no way she did that. There's yeah. no way." And, and, and there there's a there is a, a new TV show on Netflix. I don't know if you heard about it. It's a dating show, and uh, it, it, people wear makeup to make them look like they're like a fox or a witch or something. And the thing is, on that show, it seems like anyone that gets like the worst makeup they look like a old hag or whatever like they are the first ones to get dropped from the pool because the even though the woman might be attractive without the makeup on if she has that look she's considered to be someone that is less desirable or less trustworthy. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, or, let's say Sharon. Ke- let's say Sharon Kenny was some frumpy, dumpy, tumpy, lumpy, uh, you know, janitor or something who did these things. I guarantee she would have gotten a guilty verdict. They would have looked. Let's at say her. she was looking like a, a Miss Trunchbull and uh, Matilda. <laughs> yeah, they would be like, yeah, guilty. I mean, there. I think there's like a lot of implications that go along with that. You know, you kind of assume the person's life. Like, okay, you know, here's a lady who is probably a very mean, nasty woman. Uh, mm-hmm. She probably is, uh, you know, ha- hasn't had a lot of success with men, so she's probably, like, uh, got, got like, this built-up resentment towards men. And so, yeah, she probably did it. And then you see someone like Sharon Kenny, and it's like, look at this beautiful damsel. She's, she's, she's a what queen. An angel. She's gorgeous. Yeah. There is no way that that, you know? I mean, people are fucking people. People are very simple creatures. And I mean, there's a reason why the record industry ain't throwing out a bunch of uggos to the top of the charts. I mean, looks well, yeah, I mean, it, matter. It, well, also in, in in the film industry, like in the past, you would have regular looking people who would still have pretty uh, significant uh, careers, uh, like someone like Gene Hackman. Um, but now 
that's well, just not see, the case for the men, anymore. For the men, yes, but I feel like for the women, they were ex- like Audrey Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. They were expected to be well, yeah, beautiful. And and mm-hmm. with men, yeah, you could. Uh, I mean, to this day though, like uh, that that still definitely exists. I think that they're in Hollywood. They're just choosing a more. Uh, I guess diverse is the term of the day. But it wasn't uh, always with women, too, because there were some women that were cast that that weren't necessarily always, you know, supermodels in terms of their looks. They were more cast for their acting ability. But it's just, just not kind of a thing that you see as much of nowadays. And even back then, yeah. yeah think was, of all What's-Her-Face, uh, uh, Shelly, uh, I forget, the, uh, the chick who uh, played uh, Wendy in uh, The Shining... Oh yeah, Shelley Long. Uh, she was Shelley Long. She was she was not she was not very attractive, but she was a great actress though mm-hmm. in that movie at least. I never saw her in Popeye, but uh, she was pretty yeah. good in that too. But you know, then you think of people like Steve Steve Buscemi. Like God, yeah. what a fucking phenomenal uh-huh. what a phenomenal actor. But that guy is uglier than the day is long. <laughs> like <laughs> Jesus Christ! But he's one of my favorite actors. He really is. Yeah. Like I fucking love his acting. He he he's just I don't know, man. He's he's got that that's. That like a and Christopher Walken too. Those are just yeah. two guys that like no matter what they're in, it's just going to be better because they're in it. Anyway, I digress. Have you ever seen this weird, this random Steve Buscemi movie in the '90s called The Trees Lounge? No. It's kind of an underrated uh, gem. He really is, his whole role in that movie is just a the town drunk, a fucking loser, and he just loses the whole movie. Like everything. Oh, you like, mean he, he takes he the get, whole film? He, not loses the whole movie. Well, he no, he's just a loser. The whole oh. everything, like like bad shit happens to him, but he like deserves it. So like it's it's a weird oh, movie. Okay. Like that, it doesn't have that happy ending. It doesn't have like it's like here's just that this piece of shit. Looks like he directed and it, and you don't even feel bad. Yeah, I think it was like probably like a passion project for him. But man, like to to cast yourself uh-huh. like that is is I hate to use this term, but it's brave because I mean it's like. Dude, I mean, it's very believable. He's, he's anyway, always been that kind of guy, here. I think, who's just been willing to to uh, take a lot of risks like that. Yeah, I just think about him in the movie Airheads, too. Where yeah, he was great <laughs> in that. <laughs> yeah, he was great in that movie. All right, but anyway, um, Kenny's trials were not over, blah, blah, blah. Um, she still faced the charge of killing her husband, James. The star witness for that prosecution was none other than Sharon's former boyfriend, John Bullets. He testified that Sharon had once offered him $1,000 to kill her husband. This time, Kenny was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. But in March 1963, the Missouri Supreme Court overturned her conviction on a legal technicality. Would have liked to have known what that legal technicality was. Sharon Kenny was released on a $25,000 bond pending retrial. Sharon soon had a new lover, a man who listed his occupations as hairdresser and blacksmith. Uh, according to James Hayes, it was love at first sight. They fell in love, uh, decided that they were what they were going to do is go to Mexico on a pre-marriage honeymoon. Once in Mexico, a series of misadventures, <laughs> just <laughs> to put it mildly, uh, landed Sharon in a seedy hotel room with yet another man. When he turned up dead, she told police she'd acted in self-defense. Mexican authorities don't believe Sharon's story or didn't. Kenny was convicted of murder and was sentenced to 13 years in prison. After serving less than five, she escaped in December of 69 by squeezing through an unguarded window, and she hadn't been seen since. James Hayes thinks Kenny had the smarts to really amount to something. 
She could have used her intelligence and had used her wit. She could have been a pioneer woman in politics. That, that's or another example or of what you're talking about because of her uh, her appearance. There, there's automatically right, those like, kind how, of assumptions you, about her. Assumptions, yeah, right, exactly. And, and and I knew that's why he said that is because like why? Because she was very attractive. I mean, she really wasn't that smart. She just she got she just got away with it because she looked how she looked and. You know, it, since we're dealing with murder here, her being female probably. I would say she didn't was pretty. She was pretty smart when it comes to crime. I think she was pretty smart when it comes to that. And when it comes to stuff outside of it, I don't know if that's the case. We didn't really get much info about her beyond her crimes. But uh, yeah, it does seem like one of those things where it's like, oh, she could have done this. She could have done that. She could have been anything. But instead, she let greed, avarice, and promiscuity rule her life. Um, nothing wrong with letting promiscuity rule your life as long as you practice mm-hmm. safe sex. Uh, greed is is not good, but that's not necessarily something that's going to end you. Avarice, definitely probably not a good uh, thing to let rule your life. She but, made the uh, choice. Yeah. She It wasn't Some ru- say- like th- this wasn't, these weren't things that were ruling her life. Like, she decided to do those things right but she liked it some say that kenny is still alive and well she may have stayed in mexico she may have gone to alaska where she had relatives among kenny's belongings found in mexico was a 22 caliber target pistol that killed patricia jones but because of double jeopardy laws kenny cannot be retried for that crime do we have any updates on this not really really not even. On I mean, the wiki, you can eh? look. I don't remember seeing anything significant on the wikia, but yeah, because I'm interested now. I mean, obviously, if she was born in '39, she died of old age. Uh, oh yeah, you know, a while back. I think my grandma was born in like thirty something. My grandma never killed anybody, though. That's the only difference. <laughs> the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> and she wasn't a hoe either. <laughs> but my grandma wasn't as attractive as Sharon Kenny was when she was in her youth. Uh, I'm making a bunch of weird statements. Uh, yeah, interesting. Couldn't that, couldn't that be an Sharon's alternate attorneys. name for the podcast? Just a bunch of weird statements. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's really no uh, significant info. Yeah, so she just kind of got away with everything and never really served much time for her crimes. Hot damn. All right. Well, uh, if you're out there and you're attractive and you want to, you know, get away with some shit, (laughs) give it a try. You might get away with it. That's what I learned from this. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, guys, but I figured you'd want to check out my band Dance with Ghosts and hear what kind of music I've been up to. Here's a short little clip of some of the songs we do. Head over to all the social media sites, Spotify, YouTube, Apple, if you want to learn more and like our Facebook page. Thanks.
right, now it's time for the uh, portion of the podcast that you guys love to revel in so much. It's called The Perks of Being a Josh Flower. I wrote in my diary uh, from age 14 to age 24, and I expressed my feelings, man, and my emotions, and um, some of them had gotten pretty real lately, um, so I, hopefully I go back to being cringy, because uh, I, I thought the cringier was funny. Now I'm just tapping into painful memories I had 10, 10 or so years ago. But uh, if any statements I make in this that are offensive, uh, this is how I felt or thought at the time, and I can more than guarantee you my views have changed. So take anything I say offensive with a grain of salt here. I don't know. I haven't pre-read any of these, so I don't know what they're going to say. So here we go. This is an entry from Friday, May 15th, 2009. Well, I woke up this morning from a bad dream, a weird dream anyway, and every night for the past two or three weeks, I've been getting the worst quality of sleep ever. This weird thing happens to me whenever I am asleep or wake up in the middle of the night or when I first awake. I think a lot about mortality and dying. I watched a movie one time, I forget the name, but someone in there said there is a hundred steps between sleep and death, sleep being one of them, and I really do feel like I'm in another world when huh. I sleep. Like, what movie is that? Yeah, it was a more, it was a more newer one, It was, or, or at the time, it was one where, um, I, f- I forget, dude, I, I couldn't even tell you. Um... Uh... Yeah, there's a hundred steps find it. between sleep and death. But anyway, as you look for that, um, when I sleep, I really do feel like I'm in another world, like I am closer to death, and I am warmed up to it. The thoughts and feelings I have in the middle and ends of sleep are worlds away from anything I've ever experienced while awake. So I wake this morning, and all I can think about is dying and death, and how we will all die sometime, and what's after death, and what happens when you die The priests, money changers, and clerks all have their own theories, but nobody knows for sure. For 100% sure, nobody knows. And everyone does it, and everyone will do it. I don't know how easy it is for me to believe in heaven and God and all that. In fact, I'm going to be honest, it's very hard most of the time to believe in a God as described in church and a heaven as described in church. It's very, very hard. Maybe I'm just getting harder and colder in life, someone who's deviated too much from my religious roots. But you know, it was hard for me to believe it even then. I was eight, and it was still hard for me to believe. Well, maybe not when I was eight, but by 10 or 11, I was having doubts. I have never felt anything. And they say salvation isn't based on a feeling. Then what the hell are you supposed to go on? It's all confusing to me. It it always has been. I wish I could believe in it 100% without any doubts because it would make the whole death thing a lot easier for me to swallow. Is is this like the moment where you're just like, I'm done? I'm done with religion pretty much? I I hadn't verbalized it or put it in words, but these were thoughts that had been spinning around in my head for years. Because I remember you were at a crossroads. Yeah, and now I think I just now, I think by the time I'm posting this, I'm like, fuck it. I'm I'm just going in. I'm, I'm just putting my thoughts on, into words. And when it comes to that fucking qu- I can't find the I, I can't find this this movie, so now it's driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah, um I, I wish I could remember more details about it. Um I think the woman's husband died, like they careened off a bridge in some car and the husband died, but his spirit like was with her still and um, she talked about like an after death experience and then the guy she was talking to broke it down scientifically about everything that is happening on a physiological level in your body. 
He's like, the lights that you see are the synapses of your bra- of your eye. In, in your brain, they're firing off synapses because your ha- heart stopped huh. beating and you're not getting oxygen to your brain. So it's firing off these random flashes that people perceive to be a tunnel. And he's just explaining all this near-death stuff in very... Dragonfly? Maybe, was, I don't was, know. Uh, was uh, Kevin Costner in it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anything anyway um that's go, our own unsolved mystery <laughs> i go on in my diary here but if everything you are your personality what you like your kindness your creativity your opinions your logic your sanity your beliefs your everything is just chemical reactions in your brain then fuck what happens when you die and your and your brain no longer has oxygen and you eventually rot into the ground, including your brain, and your body and skin and heart and lungs, what's left of you? A soul? What is a soul? What is it? Does it have your same opinions and beliefs and all that stuff I just named? If so, wouldn't that be called your brain? And how does a wavy aura called a soul have thoughts and opinions? And if a soul isn't all that, all I just named, then what are you going to be in heaven? Just a mindless drone? It's so crazy. And atheists, I don't understand. If you don't believe in anything, what do they think will happen when they die? And why? Why do they, what do they live for? I wish I could talk to someone really intelligent on this matter without them just shoving a Bible in my face or preaching to me. Whatever. I'll hopefully figure it out one day. Um... On another note, my best friend Brian came out a few months ago. I was surprised at first, to say the least, but then I accepted it pretty easily. It was hard for me to stop saying words like, that's so gay, or he's such a fag, because back when I was in junior high and high school, those words were just as common as a and the, so it has been drilled into my vernacular, not easily removed. I'm glad I stopped saying it, though, because it's very immature to be 20 years old and still be calling everything gay or calling everyone fags. And now I've gotten to the point to where it bothers me when I hear other people say it. Kind of like the... Yeah, that was an uncomfortable and really kind of messed up time where it was just like, yeah, you can just say that word and it's just culturally accepted. But I've had some pretty fucked up things about me that I've kept hidden, even on these Zanga entries I've been making since I was 15. And when Brian told me he was gay, it awoke all these thoughts and feelings I used to have way back in the day because I have explained to him what I've gone through similar to that. Let me explain. So I guess in like seventh or eighth grade, I was, for all intents and purposes, slightly bi, I think. Man, for me to be like admitting this at 20 years old, that's a lot for me. Like, cause, like now that's I'm pretty com- big. Now that's I'm comfortable pretty talking about it, but I wasn't even old enough to drink and I'm talking about this. Anyway. I had dude I had two dude crushes in junior high. I'm not going to name them lest this gets out, but all the while I was liking girls and having crushes on them too. But in 8th grade it was this one kid and I for real liked him. Like I had a crush on him and we were good friends and spent a lot of time together. Then in ninth grade it was this other kid. At the time I didn't even think about the fact that I might have been bi or whatever. I just thought it was natural or okay or I was straight up in denial. Whatever the situation, after ninth grade, the, quote, man crushes stopped. There wasn't any guy or friend or whatever that I found attractive or saw in that way. And ever since then, no more of those, quote, man crushes. But ever since I brought that story to Brian, these thoughts have been haunting me about, quote, you're gay, 
you're not attracted to girls anymore, you're gay. And those thoughts are not true. I don't want to be in a relationship with a man. I don't find guys attractive. Like, I don't see quote unquote cute guys or anything, but I can find physical beauty in anyone. If someone has a good body, it looks good regardless of whether you're a guy or a girl. But as far as seeing a guy walking down the street, I won't be like, oh, he's cute. Um, but yeah, it's really been bothering me because it's like I, I have a girlfriend and we are being intimate. And those thoughts totally ruin not only my self-esteem when I'm around her, but also our sex life. Not every time, but say I'm not horny or but say I'm not horny to have sex or whatever and she wants to, and then we don't, she'll be like, God, what's wrong with you? You don't want to have sex with your girlfriend? And that makes me feel like total shit, because then I'm like, shit, what if I'm gay, and I'm not attracted to her? And it really even messed up, uh, and it's even messed up my thoughts. Like, sometimes I'll stare at guys just to prove that I don't find them attractive. It's an OCD thing, I'm sure. And I know if anyone reads this, they may think that I'm just in denial or something. Look, I'll admit that I am way more feminine than most, quote, manly macho guys, which I think that whole macho thing is bullshit to the third degree, but that's another story. And I think it's okay to find guys sexy in a certain way, but I know at the end of the day, I don't want, I, I know at the end of the day, I want to be with a woman and I want to be in a relationship with a woman. So that's that. But I just have to get this off my chest in a written form. Hopefully this doesn't fuck me over somehow, but whatever. If people find out, I'm not going to deny it. I don't give a fuck anymore. Call me gay, whatever. I don't care. I know who I am, and I don't care what other ignorant douchebags have to say about it. Wow, that's a lot of shit. I dumped these out all at once, I guess. But yeah, I'm tired of typing. But I, don't, but I did want to quickly mention that my parents have been really pissing me off, and I really need a job, and they've been on my ass about getting a job, so I really need one. So I, you quit? The job that you had at this point? Um, the last job I had had at that point, because I want to say that's before I started working at Great... Oh, no, I made, no, I did quit Great Raps. Yeah. So, yeah, I had quit Great Raps in the Orange Park Mall. Uh, Do you remember uh, that whole day of quitting? Like, what what finally not spurred you uh, not to, really. to I, quit? I, I think it ended on a sour note because... I was trying to, I think I was trying to tell him that I, I didn't want to work there anymore. And he was like, okay, but you have to give me at least two day, uh, two weeks, you know, notice, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Abe, like, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to work here anymore. And he's like, Josh, you have to, you have to give me two weeks notice. I'm like, but Abe, he goes, fine, fine. You don't work here. You don't work here. And he, I think he like hung up the phone or something. I, I want to say that's how it ended. But then I, I would come up there, like, after the fact, and, you know, everything was fine. I think he was just mad at the time. Oh, okay. But, dude, that place, yeah. that place after I quit, that place was only around for, like, maybe another year, and then they got shut down. Wow. Due to health wow. violations, health code violations. Shit. Yeah, he... God damn. He, he uh, you know, it was, it was kind of like a uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares in the back of that place. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Do you remember, like, how bad it, it was? Um, like... In the back? honestly like well oh man i can tell you one time <laughs> so you know euro meat like a uh, euro is basically like lamb well that's it's it's lamb uh -huh. and uh beef and you make a euro wrap out of that and it's like a mediterranean type yeah. food and what it is it's this like big shank of meat and you put a spit through it and then it rotates vertically um with this half oven thing like half of it's 
uh, getting, you know, kept hot and then the other half rotates. Anyway, it's, it rotates. Mm-hmm. And what you're supposed to do when you want to cut the meat is you put this kind of cut off frying pan underneath the flank of steak to hold it steady from spinning. And then you take a long serrated knife and you cut down these vertical strips of meat. And then you take like three strips, you throw them on the grill, you fold them, you put them in the euro wrap, tzatziki sauce, the whole nine. They're pretty good. Um, so anyway, I took a frozen euro wrap from the back because we needed a new one. And, um, I had it on the spit and somehow or another it slid out of my hand and the whole frozen gyro thing bit of meat fell on the fucking ground in the kitchen in the back. It just fell on the ground, the dirty ass kitchen floor. And I was like, Oh shit. I was like, Hey Mohammed, help me pick this meat up, man. I'm going to spray the spray this shit with a hose. (laughs) We're just like laughing our asses off. And I spray the thing down with a hose it's a really high powered hose as best I could. I put it back on the spit and I brought it up front and I set it up. And, um, the first few people who got meat off of that thing hit it on the ground. I know that's fucking horrible. And I, but dude, you gotta, you gotta figure a whole rack of that Euro meat. That was probably like a thousand dollars worth of like meat, you know? So like if I told my boss about it, he probably would have told me to do the same thing. But I think I think I heard like the main reason that place got shut down for health reasons. It was over the old paper sticker labels on the containers weren't properly removed and replaced with new ones. I think that was like the that final was stro- the main reason. Yeah, it's it's little shit like that that they'll get you for if wow. you get if you have a health inspection. Wow. Yeah. So that's not what you think of when you think of health inspection. There was a lot more nastier shit going. I told my my I told the people I was close to. I was like, "Don't eat there unless I'm working and I cook it for you." Like seriously, do not order food there unless I cook it for you, because I know what goes on in the back. And you know, salmonella. That was that was that was just like the last straw. Like that wasn't like. Yeah, I think they had the gotten only. violations before, and that was just kind of like, all right, you know, you guys, you know. There's other places like, in the all right, mall. Now get the fuck out. <laughs> get the there's fuck other, out of here. There's other places in that, in that same food court to this day that I know would fail a health inspection, but are for some reason still around, and I don't understand that. Maybe they know someone. Yeah, maybe. Um, so I end the They know a health s- inspector, so the only health ins- so they get a health inspection, and it's from, like, their... Their friend or their cousin, you know, their cousin. (laughs) Last thing I I talked about here and I, oh, I remember this uh, in this entry. I tried out this Prima's ice cream place because my friend Patrick got me a little interview thing there. And the lady said she wants to hire me, but she's, quote, afraid because to because of the economy. So whatever. So much more I could talk about, but I won't because I'm tired of typing. That place ended up being a fucking nightmare. I worked there for all of two weeks, and I fucking quit. Damn. Uh, let me see if I... Um, let me see if I talked about that job. Oh, wow, I say something... Oh, wow, I said something really uh, politically, very politically incorrect on uh, May 20th. I'm not even going to read that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, what is this one about? You're just oh. kind of shocking yourself. Like, you don't remember posting that stuff, and you're like, man. I just can't believe I posted it so fucking publicly. Yeah, like, it's like, man, I was 
uh, kind of an asshole. <laughs> but, okay, you know. let's see here. All right, oh, this is the last one I'll read. What, what time are we at? Oh, we only had an hour 17. Yeah, we need a little bit more padding on this one. Um, this is from Saturday, August 8th, 2009. Man, wow, I'm so fucking sick of this shit. I'd love to just move the fuck away, but my real issues stem mostly from my own mind, so I wouldn't escape anything, really. I'm literally sick of everyone in some way or another. I'm sick of myself. I, I hate my fucking brain. I think I'm dying. I'm killing myself slowly. I'm so fucking afraid of dying, it's not even funny. That's all I've been thinking about lately. It's all I can think about. One day I'm going to die, and it's just going to be black and silence forever. It's so hard to believe in God right now, it's nearly impossible. My mind is fixated on the notion that once you die, that's it. It's just black. Just stop. It just kind of remind me of that scene in Airplane where they're all freaking out. And, you know, it's like, snap out of it. Yeah, (laughs) everyone's hitting me with a different (laughs) item. Just stop. You're not going to die. Just stop and really (laughs) think about it. One day, you are going to be in a coffin, dead, no more consciousness, no more anything. You're gone. One day, it's guaranteed to happen to you. No way out of it. This is a fucking cruel joke. Someone made us live and be happy and love just to take it all the fuck away. It's a sick fucking joke. Life is just a glimpse of something that I don't even think is real. You don't don't remember before you were born, and you're not going to remember after you die. So really, what's the point? What is this brief period of time in history that we are alive mean? What is it worth? I've been searching for answers and thinking really hard in this shit. Uh, I try to believe in the God stuff, but it's just not sinking in. And on top of all this shit, Caroline and I broke up. My best friend, gone. So I've been feeling shitty about that. And then there's Jackie. I don't know what to do anymore. I just sit around the house all fucking day long and don't have anything. Just think about my problems. But the thing is, I don't feel like doing this any uh doing anything else though except drink beer and play cover songs why do i have these thoughts why why the fuck do i have these fucking thoughts why can't i be a fucking dumbass like everyone else in the world why do i have to fucking inspect every little thought and feeling and aspect of life it does nothing but fucking torment me and it's not like the artistic side of me being deep has ever paid off because i'm not in a band or even writing anymore so i'm just left with the suffering without any reward I'm sick of all of it. I don't want to fucking die ever, but I'm sick of life. Very sick. God, reach out your hand and help me. Disclaimer. <laughs> this is, has, always will be based solely on how I feel or felt at the time. In no way does this reflect permanent attitudes. Feelings are like weather. They change. Um, <clears throat> Was that actually in that post? Yeah, I, I, I wrote that? that. Yeah, I would, because I realized in the moment that I was, being a little kind of ridiculous maybe and a little sensationalist and it's like i was just venting really in that post and i'm like if Uh someone ever reads this they're gonna think i'm i'm like on the verge of like mass shooting mode um incel (laughs) so someone commented who was this um mad hatter i don't even know who this was this person commented first off get the fuck out of the house the worst possible thing you can do is just sit and think I realize this is almost impossible as I have the racing and persistent thought problem as well, but getting out helps. I am truly sorry to hear about your breakup. I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle that. Not now. As far as the God bit, I was raised Christian and am now agnostic, but don't believe in the Christian God at all. If it is hard to believe, chances are there is a reason for that. 
trying to telepathically communicate to an all-knowing being who may or may not have or may or not be all good to solve your problems could be worth a shot in desperate times but logically just won't work dying and living two things you have little control over it's not the most philosophical approach to these problems but my answer would be to try to enjoy life as best you can because there really is no point to life outside of impacting lives around you and death death is inevitable whether you whether or not you are conscious after this is known only to the dead. Hope you feel better soon, dude. That was a pretty nice comment. Yeah. So around being 20, I remember exactly what was going on to, to, to spark all of this death anxiety uh, obsession. So me and Caroline had been together for like a year and a half, I want to say. And... um I'm just coming clean on this because I don't care anymore. And and if this if these people find out, then they find out. I'm not giving any last names though. Um, so I had been I had been like over Caroline for a while. Like I was tired of her shit. I was tired of her constant controlling nature. She was always telling me who I was and wasn't allowed to be with. Um, uh huh. It just felt like it was we were reaching the end of the road, and the it wasn't was sweet. No, it wasn't sweet. And oh my god, Mike, that was <laughs> that was fucking you. You blindsided me with that dad joke <laughs> in a masterful way. I have to, I, I have to respect that. I really do. God, that was awful. Perfectly dad, <laughs> dad oriented, though. Uh, but no, yeah, like me and Caroline, it was like a year and a half. It was, it was one year too long if you ask me like we would have been good for like six months and then you know that then call it call it a day because she started getting toxic pretty early into the relationship so then i start hanging out with this guy josh and his wife jackie and they live like literally five minutes down the road from me from my parents house which is like how rare is that because they live out in the middle of nowhere and so that becomes like my second house i'm there all the time uh they're buying me beer because i'm not old enough to drink and Jackie is a fucking fox. She is fucking hot. And we're all friends. Me, Josh, Jackie, we're all good friends. And um, you you all see where this is going. <laughs> um, uh, me and Jackie start kind of canoodling um, when Josh wasn't aware. And... Yeah, let's just say I made a lot of really bad mistakes around that time in my life. And I was guilty. I had a guilty conscience. And the guilt was manifesting itself in the form of this death fixation. It's like I was being a piece of shit human being and breaking up a marriage, essentially. And I was doing it for my own selfish gain because I thought she was hot and I'd only been with like two other people. And I had just gotten off of a whole five years of being treated like shit by women in middle school and high school and being rejected and, you know, being the fat friend in the corner that women didn't want to touch with a 10 foot pole. Meanwhile, all my friends were getting all this hot, fun action, just total Elliot Rogers syndrome going on with me. And here's Jackie, who is this fucking babe that none of my friends would have ever had a chance with in high school. And she's interested in me. And like, I just, at that point in my life, I just, I, 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 I stood no chance of, of turning down her advances. And, um, yeah. 
So that whole thing happened. And then... So in that scenario, I have to say this. Uh, It's not entirely your fault because she also was coming on to you and maybe she should have not done that. So in that one, it's one of those things where in that situation, it goes both ways to me. It's not an either or. It's not like, oh, it's a total two lane road. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm tired of people not looking at it as a a two lane road when it comes to these kind of things. Because there's a lot of instances where it's like, well, you're the one that should have, you know, da da da. And it's like, well, she shouldn't have done that either. (laughs) Here's the thing, though, too. I was 20, she was 23. So you can't even make the argument that, oh, well, she was a younger woman and you knew, but no, she was older. She and here's yeah. the, here's the second thing, she was the married one. I was not exactly. That's what I'm saying. She ruined her marriage vows. I didn't ruin any of my marriage vows because I wasn't married. Still, Josh was my best friend, yeah. and did sweet guy didn't didn't see any of this coming. Mm-hmm. He eventually found out, and uh, things literally have never been the same between Josh and I, well, which is a shame because. Yeah, it's a shame because he was a really, really good friend. And, mm. you know, the sick part about it is, like, I want to say four years later, when I was living with my friend Trey, mm-hmm. uh, they moved into a place that was, again, five minutes away from me. And um, as if, you know, I hadn't learned enough lessons uh, it that it, it resumed again. Oh my god! Yeah, I Fuck. I couldn't I couldn't believe myself. I just I I had no moral compass back then for that kind of stuff. Shit! I look back on that as like a huge regret. Like maybe not the biggest regret of my life, but that that whole thing. And you're my not whole kidding lost... when you're talking about this is like therapy. <laughs> yeah, dude. This is totally like therapy. You know, everyone makes like, mistakes. You know, no one's perfect. No one really is a angel or completely a, a devil. So, you know, there's a lot of gray areas, a lot of things where people uh, aren't always being the best that they can be. So the fact that you are willing to share this kind of... Uh, part of you there's this moment in your life uh that that's that's a really strong and and uh uh honestly uh inspiring thing that you're willing to open yourself up like this the only reason i'm even willing to 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 read these posts because i could have read it and saw where it was going and been like hey man i'm gonna edit this out like i don't want this to be in the podcast Mm -hmm. the only reason i keep it in is because i know this will help people in some way and that I am not this person anymore. Yeah. Like I, I absolutely would not do that ever anymore. Like it just, you know, I never stole from anybody. I never beat anybody. I never was abusive physically to anybody. I, you know, a lot of the shitty traits that people have in life. I never did any of that stuff. But what I did do was in the in the sexual realm as far as like hurting people taking like not taking advantage of them in, in like a rapey way but like uh-huh. acting like i wanted to be in a relationship and then having sex and then being like eh, i don't think i want to be in a relationship and 
using people and you know my my sexual conquest was the only thing that mattered and other people be damned and uh, it took me a long time to like get my head out of my ass in that aspect and and improve myself and become not like that and and really appreciate the fact that you are you are truly hurting people's feelings with these things that you're doing you mm-hmm. mother, you you piece of shit you know so now anytime i have any kind of acquaintanceship with anybody if it's in the sexual realm i tell them exactly what i'm looking for exactly what i'm about mm-hmm. and i tell them all that up front and if they want to proceed cool if not no hard feelings i totally understand but i'm going to be 100 percent honest with you up front so you know what you're getting into it's a learning experience that was the moment yep. where you learned uh that that was not okay you know it was it was a hard thing to learn because sadly that wasn't a, the moment i i learned it, I, I didn't learn oh, that it w- wasn't okay it took me many years of, you know well, to where i finally that sometimes that happens that was one too. of the that was the foundation to the building yes. of this is fucked up ville yeah uh, that was that was definitely pouring a solid concrete because foundation not of, everything happens the way it does in the movies or in fiction where oh i fucked up i'm never gonna do this again like that's not really the most realistic thing, because there's a lot of different ways that people learn, and you you are just one of many where it takes people uh, more time, more fuck-ups, more instances of doing the same thing until they finally realize, this is not right. I need to stop this. I need to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I... There's always been a bit of narcissism in me. It's what makes me the performer and, and have mm-hmm. a desire to to do that and be, you know, the center of attention and all that. And um, it, I think that why it took me so long to kind of unfuck myself was just this um, kind of this like ego that I had and, and this um, this kind of like, well, you know, uh, I'm tired of girls acting like they didn't enjoy it too it's not like it's a one-sided thing like you know they they had an orgasm so did i what's the problem and i i had like my like i said my head was up my ass like i just didn't um appreciate the that their emotions were getting a lot more because like i think by that point i just cut off all emotions Mm. so i i had no appreciation for their emotions and it was uh you know it wasn't a good it wasn't a good way to be. It was shitty and I'm I man, I don't like I, this isn't making yeah. me as emotional as like no. that OCD no. shit going on, but I don't I don't like uh-huh. digging this back up. So it's one it's of those like, things. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's still a good thing cuz it's a way for you to uh get that out get more stuff out of your basement so to speak. You know, ultimately you'll feel better cuz you're not just holding that in, you know. And having that turn into another bout of running thoughts, you know, because you haven't really, you know, faced it as much. Yeah, and, you know, there could be someone out there listening who maybe you're sexually promiscuous and, oh man, it's so funny how this ties into the Sharon Kennedy. It does. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Because remember you said like, oh, Um, I'm not very emotional. I don't like dealing with emotion. And, yeah. This 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 is why you're you don't like dealing with emotion because 
you know, this kind of stuff. But at the same time, like the 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 whole, uh, it seems like where that's coming from is it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel stressed out. So then that led you to doing, you know, some really screwed up things in terms of screwing with other people's emotions because of the fact that you're like, I don't want to deal with it. So you're, you're just doing all this, like, pushing things aside type type of deal. Um, I think, too, for me, like, like, hurting someone's feelings and being kind of a user in the world of sin, that's like kind of like a white collar crime, mm-hmm. proverbially. It's 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 not even in the same league as like rape or like spousal abuse. However, you know, I think, and and because of it that, it still can cause a lot of damage. Like, <laughs> yeah, it still can cause a lot of damage, and and I think me chalking it up to being this like quote unquote white collar crime in the world of uh, it's toxicity, not that big of a deal. Uh, yeah. yeah exactly it's like oh that's not a big but but i you know that was coming from someone who was i mean if you go back to my earlier diary entries i was a very hurt teenager you know i was very hurt by people dismissing me and and invalidation and lack of you know anyone giving me any kind of attention or anything so like whether it was my fault or not i was still hurt by that so I, at some point i just started shutting down the sense that like the ability to have those feelings and then after breaking up with caroline who was like my best friend um for so long and it that was just a really strenuous uh, time in my life at that time at 20 years old um and i think i just kind of cut it all off and walled myself up and um I've learned, you know, to this day, like, I stay away from relationships because, like, this year I was kind of in a mini relationship with this girl that I don't really talk about a lot on on here because, I, you know, I just, for whatever reason, don't want to. Um, And I saw that I was getting feelings for her, and then I found it. But, you know, I didn't date her because I I didn't want to uh, go there emotionally. And um, then she got tired of waiting and... I found out a few weeks ago she's been seeing this guy for a few weeks behind Mm. my back because she was still hanging out with me and she was still acting like everything was fine. Got a little taste of of, uh, what you did. And it hurt. And I'm like, see, this is why. This is why I stay away because I don't need this right now. I'm not trying to settle down. I'm not trying to start a family. I'm trying to make this band work. And I don't need these emotions throwing me off my path to my goals so okay that my therapy session is over mike i think your your time uh my my billable hours are expired uh so let's okay. let's uh, kick into the uh our promoting right. our shit so this was the podcast if you want to get the shit earlier you can subscribe to our patreon at patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries uh, patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries you can get the podcast early and you can also um recommend episodes for us to talk about uh quite a few of the cases that we've covered on here have been fr- patreon requests um so you can do that uh you can follow us on facebook on the fan group it's uh go to facebook.com uh, go to the search bar type in uncovering unexplained mysteries hit the groups tab you should be able to find it you're a smart boy you know how to find groups at this point i would hope Facebook's only been around for like over 15 years or however long it's been around. And if you want to follow me and Mike on YouTube, which is the most entertainment you'll get, 
from uh, us, uh, but we are separate. We are not individuals. We are not together on there. Some of you may like that. Some of you may like Mike more than me or me more than Mike, whatever. Uh, you can do. You can go to Mike's channel if you want to learn about movies and all things movie by going to youtube.com slash OCP communications. Once again, youtube.com slash OCP communications. Mike, what was so the last, last video, video you did? I did? Is actually a vlog. Uh, talked about a bunch of stuff that I picked up uh, for my collection and talked about some movie trailers and some. Uh, upcoming releases on home video and gave a little bit of a life update and all that and then I also reviewed all of the Die Hard movies so nice so head over to Mike's channel if you want uh, more of that content if you want to go to my YouTube channel it is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts once again that's youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts I talk about music related things controversies in the music world drama uh, I talk about fucking, I, I rank albums, I review albums, I, you know, all kinds of stuff. The last Am video I, I did, Mike actually gave me the idea for. <laughs> so you guys all remember that band Stained from the early 2000s, right? Uh, the, the, it's been a while since I've seen the way candlelight's your face. Yeah, that guy, Aaron Lewis, he's been doing country for the past decade and he, uh, like a month ago, released the most pro, just boner for America, MAGA supporting Donald Trump song. Just the cringe factor for me was so high that when Mike <laughs> sent me the video, I was like, oh, God, I got to do my I got to do my own video on this shit. I mean, it's just and in the first like minute of the video, you can see me with my natural country accent because I, I go full on. <laughs> country boy in the beginning and um there it, it, it it's a little twist at the beginning but yeah very cringy song awful embarrassing i talked about that and then the di video i did before that i thought was pretty interesting too uh i did that one more of like a higher production horror or type thriller video it's about the comedian bill burr and the story of the doll to where he almost cried on stage you're not going to want to miss that one so head over to youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts to check that out all right guys that's the end of the fucking podcast so uh, until next time have a good rest of your day and all night and and or night bye <laughs>